We had a leadership retreat last weekend and it was wonderful to get away with, uh, get away with the, um, the leaders of Athey. We had a bunch of men and women that are kind of the, 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 the folks that sort of make Athey Creek roll along uh, and, and just such a great group of people. We had a blast just getting together, seeking the Lord, prayer, the word. And, uh, and one of the things that we were able to do is reflect on where we've been and where we're going. And we talked about things like vision and direction and stuff like that. And I was thinking, boy, some of this stuff about the vision at Athey Creek, I probably need to share that um, with Athey Creekers, the whole church, because um, there's a lot of new people that maybe haven't been around for very long and might wonder, what, what is Athey Creek's philosophy of ministry? And why do we do certain things, but not other things? And we actually have a method to our madness um, that um, we actually uh, feel very called to a very specific kind of ministry. And we'll talk about that. Um, in just a minute, because that's where Habakkuk is gonna remind us of something important concerning vision. But of all the things that's changed today, there's not a lot that has changed if you've been around for a long time, except for just the sheer number of people. Uh, you know, 26 years ago, there were, you know, the first Sunday, I think we had 20 people. The next Sunday, we had 10 people. The incredible shrinking church, um, cut in half in one Sunday. Um, but uh, as the years have gone by, we've just seen the church grow. and. Um, and it's, it's kind of stunning, really, uh, dizzying even, to uh, see as, as many people that really call this their church home, which we're happy to have you all. Um, and, uh, and it's not just here, the online church, we've had to really rethink, how do you minister to people online? Because there are people that are out and about that don't really have great options for churches. Um, one couple lives way out in the boondocks um, in, uh, down under in Australia. And they wrote us this really nice note and sent a little video. And I thought, oh, this would be fun to show the Athey Creekers, some Athey Creekers. You wanna meet some Athey Creekers from down under? Um, this is Mal and Chris, and they live about a half hour away from Warwick uh, in Australia, um, which is about a 10,000 people city, but they live out in the country from that little city. Uh, but here's their greeting to y'all, here we go. G'day, Brett from Australia. I'm Mel and this is Chris. Hi. Um, we just wanted to say what a great blessing your teaching online has been. We've been listening to you for about six months and uh, we just wanted to send a message to you and, well, all of Athey Creek to say g'day and, uh, and uh, to encourage you to stand firm and keep walking uh, the firm straight path in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and thank you for not growing weary and doing good it's just what we needed at the moment. And I have learned to speak American. What? Yep. Tell you what. Well, be that as it may, um, we just wanted to say good day. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Don't you love that? Uh, tell you what. That's awesome. With a little bit of an Australian twist to that, uh, which was great. Um, you know, what a sweet couple, and, and uh, it's so neat. Uh, you know, they're, they're Christians who, uh, they wrote this letter. I wanted to uh, just share part of it. They said, currently we've found the churches in this area to be full of lovely, well-meaning folk who are helpful and hardworking and hospitable. However, we've attended many services of different denominations where we haven't even had to open our Bibles during the service, and we were quite delusioned about modern-day Bible teaching when we came across the Prophecy Update by Brett on YouTube. Since that night, we've been listening two to three, four sermons of his a day. <laughs> that makes me nauseous to <laughs> think about that. But, um, but um, uh, she said, I recently lost my teaching job after 30 years because of the COVID vax situation here in Australia. So I have had plenty of time. We started watching live online as well and have been so very blessed by the ministry at Athey Creek. Uh, so thanks for that. Our motivation for wanting to facilitate a watch group um, is that we would love to connect with other like-minded Christians in the area and thought that this might be an avenue to do this. If we found you, then others might too. And so I just think that's awesome how the Lord's, and we get stories like this. I don't get videos that cool very often, but we do get letters from people and notes um, from all over the world. We have watch parties in London and, and in, in uh, Germany and um, you know, uh, all over the country in the United States, uh, Florida watch parties and Arizona and uh, Texas. Uh, it's, just, it's just amazing how the Lord has, has reached a lot of people. Uh, and that's something we really didn't anticipate, honestly. Um, in the early days of Athey Creek. 
It's in the last couple of years, the Lord has put it on our heart to say, if you, you know, if you're gonna, if the Lord's gonna bring this many people, we should try to reach those people and, and share the good news with them. And also the through the Bible teaching. And so that's probably the biggest change is just the sheer numbers. But we're, we're doing our best to guard the, the philosophy of ministry, uh, whether it was day one at Athey Creek or uh, you know, 26 years into it, we wanna really guard the vision and the direction that the Lord has called us to. And, and that's where Habakkuk chapter two, verse two comes into play. Let's take a look. There in Habakkuk 2, two. Um, it says, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Write the vision and make it plain or make it as clear as you can um, on tables. The idea is tables of stone. Chisel it in stone is the idea. Make it plain and readable and clear. Uh, immovable is kind of the idea, tables of stone. That he, the person who reads it, may run with it. Um, now, this is interesting because some people mix this up, by the way. Um, you know, we, it says that he may run that readeth. We sometimes get it turned around and we make it say that he who runs may read it. Like you're already running and when you're running by, maybe you can read it while you're running by like a billboard on the freeway. I've heard whole sermons on that. Make it so clear that when you're running past it, you can see it. That's not what's being said here. Um, God is saying uh, that he needs us, you and me to have vision a roadmap, if you would, um, where we know where we're gonna go. We don't start running until we read it. That's the idea. It says, you know, here, write the vision and make it plain on tables that he may run that readeth it. The, the person who reads it, then he can run. And that's something that I've noticed. We, we sometimes, you know, we get kind of hyper and uh, overactive and we start running, but we don't have real vision yet. We haven't read the vision. We haven't you know, sought the Lord about what direction he wants us to go. And that gets us into trouble. That's when we start running into walls and making decisions that weren't so great uh, when we run before we have the clear vision. So um, Athey Creek, we, we, we established kind of what is our vision of, of ministry, the philosophy of ministry here at Athey Creek. And, and we've been fighting for that ever since. Um, and I'll tell you, fight is the word. Um, because there's so many things that just naturally pull a church like this, um, trying to pull us kind of off course. And uh, we have to kind of fight to keep it on the right track. Um, and I think that it was great to have a retreat with our leadership last weekend, just to reset and pray through that stuff. But also I think it's good. It's funny, after the retreat, I was thinking, boy, I wonder if there's a scripture coming up where I can share the vision of Athey Creek with the, cause you know, we go through the Bible. And then I remembered, oh yeah, Habakkuk 2.2 is the perfect verse in the whole Bible to share with you guys the vision that we wanna write uh, and, and run with. And, and so that's the goal today is to share the vision. And, and then my hope is that if you're consider yourself an Athey Creeker, that you can run with us on this and you run with clarity and understand why we do what we do, or maybe even better said, why we don't do what we don't do here at Athey. Maybe you've got questions. We have a lot of new people. So here it is, let's lay it out. Let's write it down and make it plain. Number one, Athey Creek, our goal is to be number one, a ministry of simplicity. Um, this is a hard one. Um, I think it's so easy in your life, in my life, and in this church to just overcomplicate things. Man, we get it all jumbled up with a lot of stuff that we end up wasting time trying to do too much or making things more of a matrix uh, and you try to get it to all work out and that oftentimes ends up in disaster. You know, a lot of churches, I think I've seen over the years, I'm kind of a professional churchgoer. I've been going since I was a baby to church and I've seen a lot of ministries and churches. And one of the things that we do is we tend to shotgun rather than to sharpshoot. And we need to be more targeted, I think, in what the Lord's called us to be and what he's called us to do. Now, this gets even more challenging, I think, the bigger the church. If you've been around Athey Creek, you know, it, it's quite a thing to keep this thing going. Um, just if you're on the parking lot, you know, ministry, uh, that's, that's a matrix of how to get cars in as efficiently, quickly, and, 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 and you know, and there's always those people who wanna back in when they're supposed to go straight in. I understand that, I drive a pickup, I like backing in too. But that's why they're out there, is they're trying to keep the traffic moving. And, uh, and it's complex. Uh, and, and, and then not just that, we got the children's ministry. And there's lots of kids and teachers and making sure everybody's covered and safe. And I mean, it becomes kind of this complex, uh, you know, uh, problem of trying to care for a large congregation. But here's the thing. Um, 
I, I always tell our staff and leadership, you know, we wanna be like the swan on the lake. Um, we want people to come to Athey Creek and feel peaceful. And just like we're sitting in the living room talking with Pastor Brett about the scriptures, just everything's easy. But under the water, there's little feet going. Even though it's a swan on the lake, it's got the little feet. And, and that's, that's what being uh, in ministry, the, the staff, leadership, volunteers, um, we're the little duck feet or the little paddling feet. But hopefully we're, we keep it simple, especially as, the, as, as you come into this church. And the way we do that is to say, we really wanna be a Jesus only church. Do you guys remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking about Mark chapter nine, the transfiguration, Jesus with Elijah and Moses, remember that? And I talked about how, you know, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents, you know, the prophets and the power of God. And, and there's Jesus and Peter, you know, started talking. And then the cloud came and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And then Moses and Elijah disappeared. And it says, when Peter and James and John looked up, they saw no man save Jesus only. And that's really been our desire here at Athey Creek, that when people come here, we don't see, you know, um, the, the church that's all into the laws and rules and regulations and carrying the 10 commandments around like Moses. Jesus was the fulfiller of the law, but we also don't wanna be the power of God. You have to say it like that, power! <laughs> Flowing through your veins! You gotta be crazy about that. If you're charismatic, you know what I'm talking about. And, and Elijah's a good representation of the power of God because he raised people from the dead. He called fire down from heaven. And some people say, that's what we need, Elijah. But I'm so thankful Jesus was more powerful than Elijah. And when they looked up, they saw no man save Jesus only. Jesus is what we need. Jesus is all we need. That's why we wanna focus on the person and the work of Jesus and, and the message of Jesus. And as it turns out, the Bible says of Jesus, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. For that reason, we read the whole Bible because the whole Bible is about Jesus. It all points back to Jesus, even the Old Testament. And we've made that part of our deals. We wanna be all about the scriptures because in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what the Bible says of itself about Jesus. So to be a Christ-centered church, that's the goal. And not to be all about our church, not to be about our programs, not to have fancy you know, matrix of things, just, just for the sake of that. We wanna fight for simplicity. Um, some people come up to me, oh, Pastor Brett, love 8th Creek, been here for three weeks. But my last church, they had this program and this program. We think you need to do this and a discipleship program and a recovery group and blah, blah, blah. And those are all great things for other churches. But the Lord has said, no, we're not gonna have a bunch of programs. I remember when I um, was uh, first starting this fellowship back in 1996 and I got this thing on my doorknob from a local church that we have 75 programs to meet your family's needs. And I thought, wow, that good for them. Like, that's really good, but it gives me a headache. Uh, that's not my strength. Uh, that's not my area of expertise. Um, what the Lord has called us to do is, is keep things really simple. And uh, people say, well, Brett, where's your discipleship program? Well, as it turns out, uh, the simplicity here is we, we, we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. And if you come on Sunday, and, and even better, if you come on Wednesday night, where we're going verse by verse, you're gonna be discipled in the word and hear what the Bible actually teaches. And I, I believe it's one of the better discipleship programs, not because we're better than anybody else, but because being discipled, the best comes from the word of God. Um, people need to hear and know the word of God. In fact, I believe you really can't be discipled unless you really look at the word of God. There's no real discipling apart from the word of God. And, and when you're in the word, you're focusing on the person and the work of Jesus, the cross and him crucified. Paul the apostle is an interesting study because he was the smartest guy in the room. Like when he was Saul, the Pharisee, he was schooled by Gamaliel. That is, he was uh, trained by the smartest guy on the earth. Like, like, it'd be like if you said, I learned my math from Einstein and my philosophy from Socrates. Um, like, you'd, you know, having the best education you could possibly have, well, that was Paul. And he was eloquent in the Greek language. Um, by the way, uh, when Paul spoke the sermon at Mars Hill in the book of Acts, um, even the secularist has to admit that, the, that Paul's handle and use of the Greek language was second to none. Homer, you know, who wrote the Odyssey and the Aeneid and all this, Homer's use of the Greek language was more like a kindergarten level compared to where Paul the apostle was. Paul was a brilliant guy. Nobody in history uses Greek like Paul does. 
Um, so even when I went to Southern Oregon University, which was um, basically a miniature berserkly, um, and I, I was in a secular literature class and, and this one prof had us read Paul's message on Mars Hill because it is an example of the uh, highest level of Greek language. Um, but here's the thing that I find interesting. Paul does this sermon. Do you guys remember how many people got saved that day? Only a few, just a few. There were other times where Paul would preach and hundreds, thousands of people would accept Christ. But that sermon that was fancy and eloquent, and one of the things about his sermon that I noticed there on Mars Hill is never once did he mention the name of Jesus Christ. That's a problem. Um, most of the people, do you remember what they said? We'll hear this dude later, whatever. That's what they said about Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. So then fast forward, Paul grows and matures and he loses kind of his academic stuff. Like when he, when he talked to the Corinthian church, he said, you know, I was, a, I was schooled by Gamaliel and I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I knew more about the law than any of you guys. But then he says, but I count all that as, anybody remember what he called it? Dung. And yes, you can say that at church on Sunday morning. Manure. That's what he counted his education as. Um, now I'm not arguing against education. It's just that Paul didn't build the ministry that he had on that. He started to, but later on, he started to zero in. What was the strength of Paul's ministry? What was his focus? Well, this is where you turn to 1 Corinthians or watch with me here, 1 Corinthians chapter one. He starts off saying in verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. He didn't come with wisdom of words. Now he could have, Paul was wise with words, but he says, I chose not to come that way. And what happens if I, as a pastor, Pastor Brett tries to come and flash my wisdom of words? Well, one thing about that is I don't really have that in me. Um, I'm not a smart guy. And some of you guys, well, Brett, don't be falsely humble. No, it's, if you only knew how much work I have to do just to, to study and read, my reading comprehension in school was horrible. Um, I, I had a college advisor in high school say, yeah, Brett, you shouldn't even try to go to college. Good luck with that. Um, you, you know, and, and she literally discouraged me because I just don't have the, now I did goof around in high school a little too much. My GPA wasn't as much because I was not um, smart. It was probably, I was a little distracted. Um, if you know what I mean, a little ADHD in high school. Um, but, um, but all that to say, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for me. And I, I'm not flashy, but Paul, he could have pulled off flashy. And he did at Mars Hill. But he comes to this place and says, oh, it's not with wisdom of words. Why? Because the cross could be made of no effect. You could be so flashy intellectually, but actually undo the power of the cross. And in other words, it's like your intellect gets in the way of this the beautiful, simple gospel of Jesus. Could it be that why that's why the Lord says, I choose to use the weak and the foolish things in this world to confound the wise. Because if you're really smart, you might get in the way of what I'm wanting to do. That's why I'm qualified to be the pastor at Athey Creek because weak and foolishness, <laughs> check and check. I mean that. And good news, that's why you're qualified too. We, we're qualified to be ministers of the gospel because you're not required to be an academic brainiac. Um, it gets in the way. In fact, fast forward a couple verses from 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18 to 1 Corinthians 22 through 24. Um, he said, the Jews require a sign. They were looking for miracles. The Greeks seek after wisdom. That's the brainiac stuff. But we, Paul says, preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Man, preaching Christ and him crucified. Now, he even takes it further. If you go just a few verses into the next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter two, verse one, check this out. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you there at Corinth, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined, there's a determination here. He had to make a decision. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
See, Paul sort of evolved as ministry went on. He started flashy words with Mars Hill and very few were saved. And most people said, yeah, we'll listen to this guy later. But as he got toward the latter part of his ministry, he said, I am determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Man, Christ-centered, focus on the work of the cross. And, and I don't want it to be built on some man's wisdom. We don't want Athey Creek to be built on a person. And, and this is something we're gonna talk about in one of our distinctives here that I'll tell you about in a minute, that it's not about Pastor Brett and it's not even about Athey Creek. And, and as, as for some reason, a lot of people have been coming to church here, um, we don't wanna make it the thing, wow, look what's going on at Athey Creek or look what, you know, I, I go to Pastor Brett's church. Oh, could you not say that? That makes me nervous when people call it Pastor Brad's church because it's not my church. Uh, we, we are all, all part of a, the church of Jesus Christ. And I know that people are well-meaning and they're, they're not trying to say anything, but it does kind of translate. The optics don't look so good when you're talking to your friends at Intel or where you work saying, yeah, I go to Brett's church. Uh, that sounds like a cult. Uh, you don't want that. Uh, you need to say, um, I go to the church of Jesus Christ. I, I'm part of the church. Uh, well, which church do you go to? Well, you can say, well, I go to the church, Eighth Creek, but it's, it's because we focus on Jesus. Like we need to turn everybody back and be determined like Paul to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, I know I risk sounding sort of falsely humble, uh, but I, I, I say this with all my heart. Um, it's amazing the Lord can use a goofball like me. I, I just truly mean that. And, um, and it's by his grace. We'll get into that in a second. But he says, I was with you in weakness and fear. That, that's me, much trembling, yep. And my speech and preaching is, is not with enticing words or you might say, you know, with flashy statements and academia and all that. That's not what we do here at Athey. We're committed to, you know, keeping it simple, focused on Jesus. And that's why every Sunday we talk about the gospel and Jesus Christ. Even Wednesday night, we talk about these Old Testament stories, but we always look and see how it reflects and points to Jesus Christ. Now, um, keeping it simple as far as church, I think philosophically, the Lord gives us sort of our marching orders of what churches are supposed to do. Here's the problem. Some of you were raised in churches that had a lot more things that they did than what Athey Creek does. So some of you come to Athey and you're like, that's great, Brett, you're preaching the Bible and all that, great, but where is the recovery group? Where's the singles ministry? Where is the, um, you know, the LGBTQ recovery group? Uh, I get these things all the time, by the way, daily I get this. Where, where is, you know, your ministry for this and your ministry for that? Um, and, and why can't we baptize our babies? And, and why, what, what, here's the thing, uh, be careful on this stuff because so much of what you know and what we see is, is not based really out of the Bible, but it's based more out of church history. Some churches actually put church history on an equal plane with the Bible. I think that's a huge mistake. The Bible is second to none. The Bible is the only authority that I'm willing to just say, yeah, I will absolutely submit to the Bible. Every word of the Bible I believe is inspired by God. And I believe it's, it's our marching orders. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Can't say it more, any more strongly than that, right? Um, but church tradition, I can't defend church tradition. There's a lot of wacko stuff that happened in church tradition. Um, and some of you like those traditions, but they're still wacko. Um, and we've talked about that before. You know, like, like I just mentioned, infant baptism. I understand how it surfaced in church history, even though the Bible shows no infant baptisms ever. You see um, associated with the word baptism in the Bible, almost always the word repentance is repent, and be baptized. When you were six months old pooping your diapers, did you have a repentant heart? No, you were just pooping your diapers with glee. Um, that's all we had going and you'd gripe and cry when you were hungry. And, uh, but you didn't know how to repent and be baptized as a baby. So when you read the Bible, the Bible shows these people that were um, of an age where they could understand we are accepting and believing and an outward sign of an inward commitment that I'm making, that the Lord's made to me, of, that I'm, I was once lost and now I'm found. I'm bearing my old sin nature, coming up a new creature. And for you to have an understanding of that, that's what the Bible actually shows us, not infant baptism. Well-meaning parents said, well, let's just take care of it early, make sure Junior's saved. So we'll baptize them before they even get a chance to be little rascals. Um, and I understand the notion, it's just not biblical. 
Well, Brett, who are you to talk about the church? Well, I'm just saying the Bible is the authority here. Um, indulgences was a big thing in Catholic history. Where did that come from? Not the Bible. What about, you know, I mean, like it's, it's so funny because we could talk about purgatory. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible talk about purgatory. That's just a made up thing from people outside of the Bible. Um, you know, the, uh, the praying to the saints or the veneration of Mary, all stuff outside of the Bible, the certain papal edicts and certain um, councils from the Catholic church. And I'm not just hammering away, you know, at the Catholics, the Protestants, we added just as many traditions whether you're Episcopal or you know, Anglican uh, you know, or, or the Wesleyans. The Wesleyans put church history equal to, the ones I know at least, um, to the Bible. And it's all about church tradition and history. Um, I think that's a mistake. The Bible gives you and me as churchgoers everything we need to know about how to do church. And by the way, it's fairly simple, but at the same time, we have a lifetime of work to do with just what the Bible says. I don't need to add stuff. I've got enough to do with what the Bible says without adding goofy traditions of men. Does that make sense? Um, so what, what does the Bible say about church behavior? Well, I love going to the very early church. Um, what happened on the first day of the church? Well, the first day really was the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two. Holy Spirit comes down upon the church, tongues of fire. And it's an amazing moment in the beginning of the church. And now the disciples, Peter stands up and speaks a sermon and 3000 people were saved in one day. And the church just spread like wildfire at that point. It was an amazing thing. And then the Bible says, and here's what they did steadfastly. The church did four things, really. Acts chapter two, verse 42 is sort of an Athey Creek uh, life verse for us as a church. Acts 2, 42, it says, and they, the church, after the saving of 3,000 people, all this stuff that happened, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and bark dusting the elementary schools uh, nearby. <laughs> oh, it didn't say that, actually. I joke. Isn't it funny how churches, we become about things that are nice. Mark dusting is great. It's not one of the things they continued steadfastly in. Um, we can even talk about good things. It doesn't say they continued steadfastly with their missionary program or the recovery group. Oh, well, Brett, they didn't have alcoholics back in those days. Oh yes, they did. <laughs> but they didn't, that wasn't their major focus. Their major focus, the things they continued steadfastly in was the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Let's, let's break these down. Apostles' doctrine, the word doctrine means teaching. And the apostles taught what Jesus taught them and also what the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible taught them and they were able to instruct the church about truth. And that gives us what we have today. The apostles doctrine is basically the epistles of the apostles. Are you guys with me on that? Um, the, the epistles are the letters the apostles wrote. We have 1st and 2nd Corinthians from Paul and Romans and we have letters from Peter and James and John. They're all the apostles that write doctrine. And you and I have everything we need to know what the Bible teaches doctrinally. We're supposed to be given to that steadfastly. You know, um, there's churches that blow off doctrine altogether today. They could care less what doctrine is. What is the teaching of the Bible? Who knows? We haven't opened our Bibles for a while, but we sure know about social justice and, and um, we, we know about, you know, um, equality and we know about, you know, things like, um, you know, uh, critical race theory. Like churches have got... I'm gonna say they've swerved off the road. And I'll show you why I use that term in a minute. Um, but man, we gotta keep it on the, on the road. And it's very simple. The apostles doctrine is teaching the word of God. We do that, hopefully that's part of our thing. The second word is fellowship, which is koinonia is the Greek word, which is a really neat word. If you look it up, it's not just that we're bros hanging out. It's more like um, we're circled around Jesus having rich uh, time together in light of Christ and our relationship with him. It's like, we have a commonality. You know, there's so many different walks of life in this room. I love the, the different people that are part of Athey Creek. But the one thing we have in common is we can come together and fellowship with each other, not because we think the same way necessarily, or even have the same political worldview or this or that, but we have fellowship in Christ. That's our commonality. That's why we can love one another because we have koinonia, fellowship. Um, that's what they continued steadfastly in. Um, and then, then uh, this one, the breaking of bread. Now scholars debate, is this, did they have meals together or did they do the communion table, uh, the Lord's table, the Eucharist, the communion supper? Which one? And my answer, yes. 
Um, because if, if you do look at church history, and by the way, I'm not saying church history is something we should totally ignore. I love studying church history. I just can't trust all of church history. Um, but as it turns out, we do have, you know, early in the church, one of the things they did is they, they called them love feasts and they would get together and have meals together and they would break bread. And that was in those days, even kind of today, we think the same way, but not as overtly. But when you eat the same food that somebody else is eating, you become united. That's the way they viewed it in those days. So they had meals together. Other scholars say, no, 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 no. It's not about the actual having dinner with people. It's more about the communion table, that the church needs to be continuing steadfastly at the communion table. And I believe that's true as well. Um, Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. And take, he took the bread and the cup and they remembered the cross of Jesus Christ. We do both of those things here. Um, we used to do a lot more barbecues. It's just the problem with um, this many people, barbecues become logistically a bit challenging. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh, 10,000 hamburgers is kind of hard to cook up. But we used to do that all the time. Um, but what I do love is small home fellowships and small groups of you. I love that some of you guys get together after services and go out and grab a bite to eat with people. Like I love the fellowship, koinonia, that happens with that. And, and some of you might need to take up that as more of a thing that you do steadfastly. Inviting people over to dinner at your house or if you have a home group, or if you're in a watch party, or like having people and, and break bread together, that's something I think is really rich in church. And they did that steadfastly. But we also need to be about the Lord's table, log logistically coming together around Jesus. And we do that tonight. Tonight's service, the worship service at 6 p.m., that service is all centered on the, the communion table. That's, that's what the whole service is about is communion. Sometimes we do it like once or twice a month, we do it in the service here on Sunday morning, but Sunday night is where we kind of do that once a week as a, as a real uh, rich time around the, the breaking of bread and focusing on Jesus. And then of course, the fourth one is obvious, but maybe one of the hardest ones. I, I've seen churches really good at the first three, but we also need to be given to prayer. And that doesn't mean just me praying at the end of the service. Um, I'm so thankful for the prayer warriors we have at Eighth Creek. We have groups of people that pray regularly and we have groups that go to their knees and pray for this church. Uh, I talked to a lady last week that she's um, wheelchair bound and um, she's just a sweet, sweet gal and um, she's, she spends like 14 hours of her day praying because she really can't move around and go anywhere else and she's stuck. So she, she moves from a wheelchair to a chair and she just starts praying for all of her friends and praying for the church. And oh, I'm so thankful for people that pray. That, that's where the power is. And, um, and we need to be about prayer. That's also what Sunday night worship is about. We, we take time congregationally for prayer. But all that to say, um, these are the four things that the church steadfastly did. And these are the things that Athey Creek wants to really commit ourselves to. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and of prayers. So keeping it simple on these simple things, we're not gonna add all the liturgies and all the robes and pointy hats and, and all those you know, religious trappings because that's just man-made tradition. We're gonna keep it simple as hard as we know how. Uh, and it is hard, especially with newer people that are wanting to add things from their former church and say, hey, if you come and say, Pastor Ray, you need to chill out, Tiger. Just hang out and just appreciate, take it in for a while, and then maybe suggest stuff after you have a chance to kind of see what we're doing and why we do it the way we do. Now, here's the problem. When you do a, a church that's centered around the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking Bread and, and Prayer, and it's Christ-centered, people are drawn to that. People want to know what the Bible actually says. Um, I have pastor friends, Brett, what's the secret at Athey Creek? And I always say, well, it's the um, style of the pastor. He's just really dialed in and he's very put together. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. Um, no, what I do tell my pastor friends is I think people are genuinely hungry, maybe even starving for God's word. People wanna know what the Bible says. And it's really simple if you just teach the scriptures and, and, and make the Bible kind of the center because Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So we need to focus on the word and people will come. But when people come, then there's a tendency to think, well, look at us. We're pretty amazing. Athey Creek, and we can, whether it's me or, or even as a congregation, we say, well, I go to Athey Creek and we got this kind of arrogant, prideful thing and there's nothing uglier than that. 
Um, and that's why the second thing, and this has been on our list from day one, a ministry of humility. We have to be a ministry of humility. Would you flip over to 1 Timothy chapter one real quick? Let me show you something. Paul says something that I think is pretty powerful when he's teaching his young protege, Timothy, about ministry. Um, 1 Timothy chapter one. And there, uh, Paul gives a compare and contrast, the, the true ministry versus the, the ugly ministry um, and um, the prideful ministry. Uh, he says, this is, the, this is the wrong way to do it. And then he says, here's how I do it, Paul says. Let's take a look. It's 1 Timothy chapter one, Paul greets Timothy and says, my own son in the faith. You know, he's like, you know, his protege uh, training, pastor in training. And he picks it up in verse three and he says, as I besought thee, 1 Timothy 1, 3, to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Well, there's a strong word right there. Timothy charged them to teach no other doctrine. The word doctrine, we already talked about that. The teaching of the apostles. If there were people coming up with new stuff, charge them to stop teaching new stuff. No other doctrine than that which you've already been given. Um, you know, there's this pressure I've noticed on young pastors today. And that is to come up with some new twist on scripture, to come up with something new and exciting, emotional and dramatic, um, and make people go, wow, that person's intellectual and smart. But I think we're totally off course once we start doing that. Um, you know, the old statement is true. If it's, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Um, and, and that's one of the things about Aether Creek. Um, I just teach verse by verse through the Bible and you're not gonna hear some brand new thing. You guys, I got a brand new thing for the church here. No, what I'm teaching has been around for thousands of years, thousands. Um, things like this. This is something that's been around for thousands of years. There's male and there's female. That's, that's old. That's really, really old. <laughs> And what's funny is we accepted that. We accepted that for thousands of years until two weeks ago, we started changing. Actually, there's more than just male and female. And some pastors have got off course and they've swerved aside uh, to, to come up with some other views on that. And that's so sad to me. If it's new, it's not true. And, and there's this pressure I've noticed these young pastors to put a new twist on scripture. What happens when you put a new twist on scripture? You come up with twisted scripture. That was a band, I think, in the 80s. Uh, Twisted scripture, no. Anyway, uh, no. We don't come up with new stuff and we don't look for new twists on scripture. I think that's a hazard, watch out for that. There is a pressure, if you're a young pastor to sort of be innovative and new thinking and new stuff, watch out, I think that's a pitfall. So Paul starts as a charge them, that's a strong word, to, to teach no other doctrine, watch out for that. And then he goes on in verse four, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Um, what is he supposed to do? Edify the church. And how do you godly edify the church? Well, you make sure and don't get into these guys that raise more questions than give answers. What's this genealogy thing and the fables? Well, there were ministers in Paul's day that they based their credibility of whether you should listen to them or not based on their genealogy. These guys would literally carry these little scrolls in their, you know, in their cloak and they'd pull it out and they'd say, you need to listen to me. Why should I listen to you? Because I'm related to, and he would roll out the scroll. And the scroll would roll out. See, this guy, here's me. And, and, uh, and he begat him and he begat him and he begat him. And you get all the way down the scroll of genealogies to where you reach finally Jeremiah the prophet. You need to listen to me because I'm related to Jeremiah. And Paul says, that's stupid, you know, to sit around endless genealogies, look who I'm related to. And so that's why you should listen to me. And it's just fables, made up stories, fake news. And he says, don't do that. And, and what do those guys do? They, they raise more questions than actually give answers. You know, that's a great litmus test for a church or a Christian university or a Christian organization. Do they give us more answers or do they raise more questions? You know, it's funny, uh, um, people nowadays are asking, Brett, should we send our kids off to college? And I used to say, oh yeah, of course. But man, I don't know about that anymore. Um, it's, it's not education, it's indoctrination. And even the Christian universities, you know what happens is we've got all these 
Um, there's, the problem is there's some great profs, of course, at Christian University. And I'm not knocking all the instructors. And you know, I've noticed that the math, science, engineering departments of these Christian schools are rock solid theologically because they're logical. But a lot of the theology departments of these Christian schools have lost their minds. And they, they question the inerrancy of scripture or the validity of the Bible, or is it really God's inspired word? And, and so your kids that you trained and your pastor tried to teach them and their youth group worked hard to show them truth and they, they had a solid faith and then they go into the Christian university and they come out questioning their faith and they're doing this whole deconstruction where they're deconstructing their faith. That's a big hip thing in the Christian schools nowadays. You deconstruct. Forget what your mom and dad told you. Forget your old fuddy-duddy pastor and listen to us, the harebrained, cardigan-wearing, pipe-puffing professors. The Bible says they're professing themselves to be wise. They've become fools. They raise more questions and you come away questioning more than you just have answers. Paul says, watch out for those dudes. He warns against them. The false ministry is prideful about their genealogy. They're tweaked on their doctrine. And then he says, um, th there's a, a sweet verse I want you to remember for later in our study. Verse five, now the end of the commandment is charity. That is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, not fake faith, but love. We'll talk about both of those in a second. But then he, he says something I think is kind of funny. He says, from these guys that we're talking about, these, these wackos, he says, from, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. Don't you love the King James? This is where I love the King James. Because some of you have some boring newer translation. What is it? Worthless words. Worthless words is true, but vain jangling, that's better. Um, are you a vain jangler? I hope not, because what is, a, what is a worthless words? Our vain jangler, vain means worthless, empty, with a, with a little touch of pride. Vanity, vain jangling, and the word jangling is just saying stuff, but not knowing what you're talking about. What a great term, vain jangling. And Paul says, watch out for the vain janglers, um, because they don't know what they're talking about. They, uh, he goes on in verse seven, desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Now, some of you might say, Brett, this isn't very loving. Paul's not being loving and we're supposed to love. <laughs> um, did you know that love sometimes says stuff like this? Sometimes you have to kind of speak the truth. It's truth, but it's loving to actually say, these guys are whacked. Run for your life from these guys because they're, they've swerved off the road, it says here. Uh, some having swerved, verse six, turned aside to vain jangling. They don't know what they're talking about. This is the false ministry, the Lord says through Paul to Timothy. Well, Pastor Brett, what does the good ministry look like? Well, that's where Paul, he gives his credentials and why he's counted worthy to be accepted in the ministry. And um, what does his resume look like? Well, let me, before I read this, um, Paul could, could have put together an impressive resume in worldly terms. Remember Gamaliel, Pharisee of all Pharisees. Saul was intellectual and he was, he was, a smart, he was one of the smartest guys in the room. He could have blew him away. And by the way, he actually did talk to the Corinthians about that, that credential when he called it all dung. But listen to what he says to Timothy when it comes to the true ministry. That was the false ministry. But verse 12 is where he says his sort of resume. In verse 12, he says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was, here it is, his list of qualifications, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and I injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it, verse 16, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering or patience for a pattern or an example to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. In other words, Paul says, man, you wanna know my qualifications? I was a blaspheming, persecuting, ignorant, um, injurious person but I obtained mercy. God was merciful to a horrible sinner. And he says, I, Paul, he didn't say I was the chiefest of sinners. He said, this is a faithful saying worthy of everybody accepting it. He said that Jesus Christ came to save sinners 
of whom I am the chiefest of them. I am the chiefest of sinners. He's saying, I'm the worst sinner ever. That's what he said, chiefest. And he said, this is the example. The, the reason I'm qualified is because Christ saved me. And it's almost like he's saying, if God can save me, then guess what? He can definitely save you. Don't you love Paul's approach better than look at my genealogy and who I'm related to? And listen how smart I am. And look at what I got to say. Uh, even though it sounds a little like vain jangling, still, blah, blah, blah. But instead, Paul says, you wanna know my credentials? Man, I was a horrible sinner. I persecuted the church, but I obtained mercy and grace and Jesus saved me, the chiefest of sinners. Can I just say that's my qualifications? I would argue with Paul, except he says we have to accept it, uh, worthy of all acceptation, that he is the chiefest of sinners. But I say, no, I think I am, Paul. Um, you see, that's my qualifications as well. Um, if people can look at me and say, not, wow, what an impressive person. But if people can say, wow, if the Lord can save Brett, then there's hope for me. Um, that's the truth. Like, like we're all saved by God's grace through faith, which really demands that we remember who we are and have a ministry of humility. It's not all about, you know, me or us. Oh man, so many of the churches, they swerve when it, you know, this idea of swerving off the, the path, one of the big swerves is ministry all, all of a sudden becomes all about me, me doing great things for God. And what is God gonna do me? In some of these churches, almost borderline on cultism, when it's almost like, yeah, Jesus is great, but you're gonna do greater things than Jesus. And it's more about you doing great things and less about Jesus. That's where I'd say you start dabbling in real dangerous territory. Athe Creek wants to be a ministry of simplicity, all about Jesus, but also a ministry of humility, realizing that we're all sinners. My leadership team, my governing elder team, um, our staff and our congregation, we're a bunch of sinners who might argue with Paul about who's actually worse. But good news, we were saved by God's grace through faith. A ministry of true humility. Number three, uh, running out of time, a ministry of sincerity. Um, sincerity, it's an interesting thing because, um, you know, Paul even said that we need to have that faith unfeigned there in verse five, by the way, uh, not fake faith. Uh, Christians, we, we get pretty good at being fake. And I'll tell you what happens. It's this horrible thing that happens to church people is we want to sort of present ourselves as sort of this pristine stained glass person that comes into church. I am a Jesus person. I believe in God and the Bible and I alone am pretty amazing and got it all dialed in. And man, God forbid somebody find out that you cussed last week and that you're actually a sinner. And you're just sure that you'll be found out. If somebody realizes, wow, you sinned last week? <gasps> Guess what? We've all sinned last week. Every single one of us sinned last week. Well, Brett, speak for yourself. Man, if you know what the Bible's definition of sin is, you'll know you sinned last week. Um, we all sin and we're full of sin. And this church, we, we make this plastic Christian, like I'm really good. And, and man, God forbid we let people know that our marriage is struggling because then they'll think we're sinners. No, you, we know you're a sinner. And guess what? Join the crowd. Marriage is hard and people struggle in marriage. And yet sad to say the church has become this place where whatever you do, don't let them know you're struggling because they might think you're a sinner. What a weird thing. Um, I always kind of struggle with this because it's, it, to me, it's exactly the same. And I've used this illustration before, but like going up to the oncology center at Providence Cancer Treatment Center and going, and I can't believe there's cancer patients here. There's sick people here. You're like, uh, it's a cancer treatment place. That's what the church is, a place for sinners to be treated. How should they be treated? Shot? No, we should be treated with love and compassion and kindness and not judgmental. And we should all know we're in this together. We all struggle and we all fall short, but it's this fake Christianity that gets us really messed up. And we gotta watch out for that. Um, you know, I love what Hebrews, when talking about gathering in the church together, which we're not supposed to forsake, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says, let us draw near with, and notice this, a true heart. And the word there could be sincerity that we gather and draw near to the Lord and the church with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. And then check this out, let us, 
consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Man, we're to come sincerely and then come alongside of each other and try to nudge each other in the direction of love and good works. Um, not hammer each other, not judge each other into love and good works, but to, to just provoke. The word provoke is, is a good word. It's not like poking someone with a stick. Um, it's more like trying to gently, lovingly nudge them in the right direction, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we need a sincere church, sincere in our love for each other, sincere in caring for one another, sincere in worshiping the Lord. Um, worship can be one of the fakest times of church practice where we put on sort of a fake uh, demeanor, but really we need to come truly and sincerely in worship. Um, man, that's something we, we at Aether Creek really wanna try to do. Um, some people, Brett, where are the smoke and the lights? We need smoke and lights to really worship the Lord. If you wanna be like Hillsong, then you gotta have a, uh, smoke and lights. Well, actually, um, you know, that's, people can do smoke and lights if they want to, but for me, that comes off a little bit contrived. It's like, what are we trying to be? If, if Aether Creek put smoke and lights here, it would just feel like, why? Why do we need smoke and lights? What we're doing here is just worshiping the Lord in song in the way that we would. Um, and, uh, and, and we want it to be kind of a natural thing. And so we don't try to hype it up with smoke and lights. For us, that would be not real. But uh, to sing songs of praise and encourage you to sing along, kind of in a living room type setting, that's what we're really wanting to do here today because that's kind of what the Lord has called us to do. And we wanna have a sincerity that's real. Number four, uh, a ministry of serenity, serenity. The word serenity helps me keep my alliteration going here, or assonance as it's called. Um, uh, but it's, um, it's serenity is the idea of peace. I hope that the church is a place where you can come and be refreshed and restful and encouraged. A place where uh, you are, um, you know, almost like a hospital. That's one of the things we've said over the years here at Athey. We want it to be a hospital because a lot of you are out there all week long getting hammered, beat up by the world. Um, some of you guys have jobs where you have people just railing on you as a Christian. And we want you to come here and not be signed up or feel guilty for not helping out or we don't want any of that. We want you to come and just be able to just say, oh, this isn't hostile territory. Coming to church, I can sit down and just be re re refreshed and encouraged, built up in faith, and then I can go back out there and get back in the trenches. Um, that's our goal as a, as a hospital. Well, Brett, what are you, the doctor at the hospital? Nope. Um, I'm one of the patients too, and I've just been in the hospital longer than some of you guys. I know where the jello is. Um, the, I know where the bathrooms are uh, and I'll point people in the right direction. But, but really the Lord is our great physician. Christ is our healer. But that's the thing. We want an oasis here at Athey where you can come and just, just take in of the Lord. It's really what Jesus said, that classic passage, Matthew 11. You know, come to me all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. You know, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find, this is what we want at Athey Creek. If you're a Jesus church, you should find rest unto your souls. If Jesus is really the focal point. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A place of refreshment. Here's the thing that's been tricky as we've gotten bigger as a church. We do need volunteers. And so we've, we've said, hey, we could use some volunteers in this or that and the other. We really don't wanna twist anybody's arm. We don't. We just say, hey, if you wanna help out, help us out. But don't ever feel like you have to always be signed up for volunteerism at Athey. I am so thankful we have 1,700 volunteers that help make Athey Creek work. And they're amazing people, yeah. Um, it's awesome. But. But if you're at one of those 1,700, like, man, I can't believe I have to be out in the parking lot one more Sunday. Like, if it's a bummer for you, I hope you, you, you have the sense to say, you know what, I'm gonna kind of take a hiatus from that volunteerism. We want church to be a place. Now, some people volunteer, and that's part of their feeling refreshed, is being a part of the, the help around here. And I love that. That's, that's hugely a, a blessing to our church. But don't feel like you're stuck in your volunteer. And if, if you're volunteering and nobody's seeing that you're overworked, let us know, you gotta be clear and help us to see if, you're, if, if church is not becoming so much fun anymore to you. Uh, that can happen all the time in churches, I see that. So we don't wanna be a place of recruitment as much as a place of refreshment, very important. 
But there's one more, and this is the big one, as we conclude with the fifth. We got, you know, first a ministry of simplicity, then a ministry of humility, then a ministry of sincerity, and then serenity. The last one, uh, to keep our little rhyming going, charity, a ministry of charity. Oh, is this where you talk about giving? No. Uh, I'm not talking about charity like give to the poor. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about charity in the context of love. We need to be a church of love. And I'm gonna say it as strong as I know how. If Athey Creek is a great church with a lot of great things, but we don't have love, we're a total waste of time. Any church that has a lot of great things, but if it doesn't have love, pack it up and turn it into a bowling alley. I can picture people bowling in here. Uh, <laughs> this is a nice bowling alley. Um, but no, we don't want that. But, but the Bible doesn't pull any punches on this one. Love is so important. J- Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And how does he love us? Unconditionally and sacrificially. So uh, he loves us and we're to love each other that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have an amazing church with lots of people in it. Nope. You know, bigger churches, just because a church is big doesn't mean it's right. There's a lot of big churches that have totally wacko doctrine. Just because there's cars in the parking lot doesn't mean really anything. The real test that Jesus says is if you have love one for another. And that's the question, our leadership, our staff, how can we be better at loving? Now, this is where it gets tricky because we kind of touched on this a second ago, and that is, um, Brett, you're not very loving. You talked about Joel Osteen the other day. And you said mean things about poor Joel, and I like his mullet, and I like um, <laughs> that he talks about victory and stuff like that. I do too, nice guy, but doctrinally he's off. He's just off. You cannot have people go to heaven unless there's the repentance of sin. You'll never hear him talk about repent of your sins. Um, that you're a sinner who's headed for hell and destruction. That's part of the gospel message. Um, you, you don't have the gospel if it's, you, you, God wants to have you be victorious. That's not the gospel message. That's a, an Americanized gospel that's not a gospel at all. And so you say, but that's not loving. No, it is. Uh, remember, he starts off this whole me- message to, from Paul to Timothy about, man, call out those guys, charge them that are teaching other doctrines. And so there is a time and place. And see, here's the problem that I have. Uh, uh, would, would you guys agree that truth is on the chopping block right now in these days we're living? It's totally in, in, in danger of extinction, truth. So when I preach up here, there's a lot of prickly topics that I have and some of them aren't, don't sound so loving and I have to be careful. I, I try my hardest to be loving when I'm talking about things, but sometimes I have to admit, I go home thinking, I was probably a little harsh on that one. And, yeah, I, but, but here's the thing, love sometimes is a little prickly. Just ask Jesus when he turned the tables in the temple and made a whip and started saying, get, the, get out of here. Or, or what about when Jesus said to the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, vipers, and you're, you know, like he, he was hard on, on them, but he, was Jesus loving? Of course he was. So here's the problem. I, I'm trying to champion truth and, and challenge truth, but I, I try to fight that love and truth balance. But, but here's what we have to be careful of. Um, just because I'm talking about up here and, and there's a lot of pastors, they're, they're like porcupines, many fine points, but not very huggable. Um, I don't wanna be that pastor, but at the same time, I'm gonna speak the truth and sometimes that hurts. But here's the thing, truth and love is the perfect balance. Jesus modeled that. Jesus was loving, but he also spoke the truth even when it hurt. But here's the thing, if you're gonna mess up maybe we should mess up on being just a little too loving. I'd rather mess up on being too loving than being too truthful. Brett, that doesn't sound very good. Well, well let, me, let me put it this way. Paul the apostle in 1 Corinthians 13 almost brought it to a crazy level. Um, but it's not crazy because it's inspired by God to say these words. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, charity, I have become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's like, you know, you, 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 you speak with tongues. That, well, that's a spiritual thing. Yeah, but whatever. If you don't have love, you're like a gong show. Um, verse two, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mer- uh, mysteries and all knowledge 
And though I have all faith so I can remove mountains. Well, pause for a second to think about that dude that we just read about. Have you ever met someone who um, has the gift of prophecy in the New Testament? That's to speak words of edification and comfort. And he also has understanding of all mysteries, all the mysteries of the Bible. He's got it all figured out. And he has all knowledge. Do you know, you know somebody who truly knows everything? This guy does. He knows everything, he understands mysteries, he's got the gift of prophecy, and he has the faith so much that he can point to Mount Hood and say, mountain, be moved, and he moves it over to the coast. Would you say that's a pretty impressive guy? We'd all say, man, that, there's, that's, that's, there's nothing more impressive in all the earth than that guy. But he says, if you do all that, but if you don't have charity, I am nothing. <laughs> do you see the radical um, compare and contrast you know, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. You can have all those fancy spiritual things, but if you don't have love, nothing. Verse three, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. There's the social justice. Look at how good we are, you know, giving food out. But even that, which seems like a loving thing, it doesn't necessarily mean it is a loving thing. And so he says, even though I feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, that is to be martyred for the faith. It doesn't get more radical than that. But if you have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Do you see the precedent that's being set here about loving one another? Now, um, the apostle John, not much is known about John after he was boiled in oil and he didn't die, so they threw him on an island. That's where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. But after that, you know, we know that John's the only of the apostles who grew old. He grew up to over 90 years old. Um, but the one thing church history, and like I said, we can learn stuff about church history, but the one thing we know about John the apostle is that when he was a little old man, he would travel around to the various churches who by now, those churches were 50, 60, 70 years old. And so John would walk in and they put him up on the platform and he would preach a very small, short sermon. And it was word for word this, he'd say, little children love one another. And then he would walk off and that was it. Can you imagine if John the apostle just showed up at Athe Creek and he said, okay, I, I, I was the friend of Jesus. I was the one that leaned on him at the table of last supper. He was, I was called the friend of Jesus, the one who Jesus loved. And he's gonna address Athe Creek this morning. And what does he say? I think he'd say the same thing. Athe Creekers love one another. Because if we don't have love one for another, you got nothing, total waste of time. Remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking about the 613 laws of the Jews and how you know, they asked Jesus, which one is the most important law? Well, I brought my 613 laws with me here uh, so you can memorize them this morning. Here they are. <laughs> These are the 613 laws of the Hebrew Bible. I'll give you a few minutes. Um, but the, the, you know, the, the, these Pharisees and the scribes, they came to Jesus and said, okay, of all these laws, which one's the most important? And Jesus said, well, he said, the first one is this, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, upon these two hangs all of the law and the prophets. And the whole thing is love, love God, and love people. So now that you've got that memorized, I've got a more simplified version. This is the one I've memorized. Um, love, love God and love each other. That's what it all boils down to. That's what Jesus said. And that's what the church is to be about, love. If you have no love, total waste of time. Ask yourself, if I'm an Athe Creeker, um, Brett has just spelled out uh, and written on stone, if you would, the vision for Athey Creek. And not every church has to have the same vision that we do. Um, these are the things the Lord's called us. And our leadership has prayed through these five things, simplicity, humility, sincerity, serenity, and charity. This is what we wanna be. And the question is, do you wanna run with us? Because um, we, we feel like if we can run with these things and get better at these things, then man, there's no stopping what the Lord can do through a church like this. And we wanna reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel and with teaching of the scriptures. And, and we wanna do it with these, these methods. So the question is, are you willing to help us? That means you have to ask yourself, am I willing to reach out and love people in a way that maybe I haven't before? Um, am I gonna help fight for simplicity and humility rather than puffing up and saying, oh, Athey Creek this and Athey Creek that. Say, no, we're not gonna make it all about Athey Creek. We're gonna talk about what Jesus is doing and the great things he has done in our lives by his grace 
through faith? Um, that's the question. Are you willing to run with us? Again, our verse of the day uh, is so powerful. Write the vision, which we've done, make it plain upon the tables that he or she, I might add, may run that readeth it. And that's the question. Will you run with us at Athe? Great. If you don't, you're saying, Brett, I'm offended by some of the stuff you've said. Um, I, great. We can recommend a lot of really good churches locally here and we need the parking spaces uh, really bad. <laughs> we understand if you don't like what we're doing here. I get that. Um, but, but at the same time, we feel very firmly that that's what the Lord has called us to do. So we're glad to have you, especially if you're saying, Brett, we're on board. We wanna run with you guys on this in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are uh, for your word and the direction your word gives us. Lord, there's so much in your word here that, that uh, gives us stuff to do, um, plenty for the rest of our lives. We don't need to try to add to it or figure out new things, but we get to... Uh, stick with the old truths of your scriptures, Lord. Help us to keep it simple. Lord, remind us to be humble. I pray that there'd be a sincerity here at Athe that's real, real Christians, really caring for each other. Um, I pray that it'd be a place of peace and serenity where, where people come and they're refreshed and encouraged in the midst of this dark and trying world. But above all, Lord, may love abound in this building. When people come to this church or our online church, Lord, may there just be a love that even reaches through those digital channels uh, to, to have people know that you love them and that we can love one another. Show us how to better do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.